Welcome to the Niche Agency Podcast, where we delve into the journey of owners who have gone from saying yes to everyone in every project to thriving industry leaders and authorities. Here's your host, Ryan McGovern. Hello and welcome. Those of you that don't know me yet, I'm Ryan McGovern. I'm currently the Director of Sales and Marketing at SEO Brothers, a white label SEO provider. Prior to that, I owned a few agencies of my own selling digital services, fulfilling on digital services. I've helped countless agencies with their personal growth and I've sold millions of dollars of digital services in my day. Join with me today is our guest, Marcel Petipaw, CEO and co-founder of Parakeeto. Parakeeto, and excuse me, Marcel, for ripping this straight off your site, exists to solve one problem, agency profitability, by helping agencies measure and improve their performance. Marcel, welcome. Thanks for being here. Ryan, it's a pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. How did I do on the 10-second summary there? You did great. And your reference in the website was a good idea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So first thing I want to ask you, Marcel, is just to give us, me and our audience, a little bit of an idea of your story, your background. What's your professional journey been like? How did you get to from where you were, however far back you want to go, to where you are now, a successful agency owner. Yeah, man, how far back do I go? Well, Ooh, my... my, my you. Uh, you can go to childhood, you can go to college. <laughs> well, I, I didn't... Actually, I dropped out of college. So we'll start there. I dropped out of college after a year and uh, found my way into an account management job with Apple after kind of going into sales and doing quite well at that. And that was really where my, I think, career started was in corporate... I want to call it corporate America, but it was corporate Canada, working for Apple, doing uh, account management for a lot of the Best Buy stores in my area. And did that for a few years and then kind of got the itch to start my own thing. So my first business ever was an agency. It was doing real estate virtual reality work before you could like do it with your iPhone, where we'd go and turn a house into a 3D VR model, right? And we were called Real Tours Media. So that was the cringiest name we probably could have given the agency. Oh, it was spelled on. like it says, says what it does on the tin. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so that was kind of my first experience into getting an understanding of what it meant to run a small service business and really struggling to figure out the number side of things, you know, like how much to charge for things, how to make sure that I had good margins, modeling the growth of the business. But Thankfully, I kind of have a knack for numbers. And early on, I knew that the work we were doing in that business was not something that I was interested in doing myself. So I was thinking from day one about how do I scale this so I have other people doing all of the delivery work. And what I figured out very early was that that business at that time, just it was going to be very hard to get the margins to make that work. So I walked away from it. And fast forward a few years later, I had gotten into software. Like any startup founder, I you know, tried to start a couple of different companies. None of them really took off. In the meantime, I was doing consulting and speaking and the kinds of things that people in our line of work do to pay their bills in the meantime. And I got a call from a friend of mine, Dan Martell, who connected me to a guy called Jared Ferguson. And Jared ran a much bigger agency than I'd ever run doing software development in Boise. And he said, dude, my team spends two days a week building spreadsheets to answer these simple questions that we need to answer every day to run our business. Things like, are we making money on our clients and projects? Are we making money? And why aren't we making as much as we want? Utilization rates. Are people busy enough? 
Do we need to hire people? When do we need to hire people? And how does all that change if we get this deal or if we don't get this deal or if we hire this person or if we fire this person? And modeling all of these things and getting data to answer all these questions required them to pull information in from a whole bunch of different places, scrape it together, clean it, normalize it, build all these different spreadsheets. It took a ton of manual work. And he said, there's got to be a better way to do this. And every agency owner I've ever talked to struggles with this. And so that was kind of the impetus to start Parakeeto and start looking into this problem space. Okay. Yeah. So Parakeeto, for you guys listening, Parakeeto helps other agencies. They are an agency themselves, but they help agencies with the problems that Marcel just mentioned. And you've been doing this for how long? About five years now. 2018, we started. Okay. You and your your co-founder. Who, who is that, by the way? So Jared, Jared was the original co-founder of the business. And then about a year, a year and a half in, Jared transitioned out. And we brought in a guy by the name of Ben Zitlau, who's been my co-founder ever since he you know, joined the business and, and uh, got on the cap table. And yeah, he's, him and I have been doing it together since then. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit more about Parakeeto. Help me understand like what a workflow would be like. Like pretend I would like to utilize your services. Yeah, well, I'll start with kind of the problem that we experience to kind of contextualize this a little bit. So as I kind of mentioned earlier, there, there's a whole bunch of questions that I think agencies are struggling to answer in their business. And so mo- the experience that most of us have running this kind of a service business is we get a report from our accountant like three or four weeks after a month is over. And we look at it and it tells us we didn't make as much money as we wanted to last month or the year to date or whatever that time period is. And we're like, okay, cool. And then the question becomes, well, why are we not making as much money as we want? How much money could we make? And what should we actually do about this? Right? What next steps can we take to move the business in the right direction? And looking at our PL, it's really unclear. There's really not that much information. And looking backwards in this way feels like it's not that effective. And so how do you solve that problem? How do you start answering these questions about why we're not that profitable, what we need to do? It requires a marriage between operations and finance. Because ultimately, operations, what they do every day and the delivery team is what's going to determine what your profit loss statement looks like. Your finance team's job is just to basically tell you what has happened in the past. But they're not going to have the context, the insight, or the data to really understand what is happening in the business day-to-day that's leading to this outcome. But the challenge is when I ask an organization, okay, whose job is it to bring together the appropriate data sets from finance and operations and format those in a way that you as the CEO or your COO or your delivery team and all the other stakeholders that rely on this information know exactly what needs to be true for you to hit your targets, whether you're on track to hit those targets or not, and where the gaps are between your expectations and reality. Whose job is it to do that? And they all point at each other. And therein lies the problem, right? There's this gap in the middle of finance and operations that needs to get filled, but it's nobody's job to fill it. No one's frankly qualified to fill it. They're all going to stretch outside of the scope of what's in their wheelhouse. That's the gap that we exist to fill at Parakeeto. Wow. Okay. So yeah, very real problem. And I can personally speak to that too with my old agencies. Like I, I didn't have any idea about my profit and loss. I would say, yeah, I would wait two or three, maybe four weeks, even a month, and then find out that I was in the red. So what you do is actively insert yourself or maybe an account manager or somebody else from the company, insert somebody into a position into the agency you're helping to actively figure out how things are going. 
and then course right. correct. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. So we have a three-step kind of model that we we use to to bridge that gap and solve that problem. And the three steps are number one, we have to model the business. Number two, we have to forecast whether or not we're on track to achieve that model. And then number three, we have to install feedback loops so we can understand where things are not lining up to our expectations. So to unpack those a little bit, the first one is so important and it gets overlooked. And the reason I think most firms are struggling to bridge this gap is because they overlook this first step, which is understanding the model of the agency. And so for those that are listening, the questions that I would ask you if you were on a, if you were fortunate enough to be on a consultation call with me, I'd ask you things like, what is the maximal profitability that your current business can handle based on how it's set up? Most people don't have the answer to that question. And how does that number change if you add a team member or remove a team member, if you change your utilization target, if you increase or decrease your average billable rate by this much or by that much, right? How does it change as you pull the different levers that you have available to you to improve or decrease the performance of the business? And there isn't an understanding there. And so that, to me, is clearly the first place to start because how are we going to be profitable if we don't know what that looks like? How are we going to set targets for these metrics that we measure day to day if we don't know what those targets need to be or what impact those targets are going to have on the outcome that we ultimately are looking to achieve? And so many firms are jumping forward to trying to get a better project management or time tracking tool in place, trying to build better reports, trying to measure more metrics. But without this fundamental understanding, they end up spinning their wheels because it's not tying back to something that makes sense at a fundamental level. It's not tying back to an understanding of their model at a baseline level. So that's the first thing that we do. We do an audit. We come in, we develop the model of the business and allow them to see, here's what the business is capable of based on how it's currently set up. Here's what all your targets should look like. Here are some tweaks you can make to improve it that we think are realistic. And this is exactly what you need to track, exactly the targets that you need to hit going forward in order to hit your profitability goals. That's the first step in the model. So I want to just interject here real quick. How do you deal with all of the unknowns? Like, for example, scope creep happens. That could happen at, at any time. And it's, it's variable. And then, it, like I said, it can happen whenever. Yeah. How does that get worked so, in? So the, all that analysis is going to happen, of course, in the, in the feedback loop. So, so let's kind of talk through it. The model is about saying, what are the assumptions that you're basing all of your decisions on today? Right? So you have a certain team. How many hours do you expect them to spend doing client work on a regular week? You're pricing your projects out. What kind of rates do you expect to make at the end of the day after it's all said and done? You know, what kind of sales targets are you setting for yourself? So we first we put all those assumptions together so we can show them, okay, all those assumptions add up to this outcome. Is that the outcome that you actually want? or not, and then how do we change the targets and the assumptions? So that's kind of the starting point of the model. From there, the next step is the forecasting. So then we start to look at, okay, let's look at the deals you have coming in. Let's look at the sales pipeline that you have. Let's look at your hiring plan. Let's look at your resource plan. Are you on track to hit your targets? Or are you setting yourself up for failure from the start? And what we find is that often, a lot of agencies are setting themselves up for failure. They're underpricing. They're making hiring decisions at the wrong time. They're throttling sales at the wrong time. So that's step two. And then step three is what you're talking about is then we install feedback loops where we can start to uncover things like, hey, you think that it's going to take you 100 hours to build a website for a client, but on average, it's taking you 200. And we can start to identify, okay, these are the specific areas that are causing you to underperform relative to the model. So we can start to zoom in on those things and say, it's specifically websites are the problem. Because your SEO projects, for example, they're above target. 
you're hitting a higher average billable rate than you expect, you're more efficient than you expect. Or hey, when you build a funnel for a client, you only make you know $10,000, but your average billable rate is three times higher than any of the other services that you sell. So those feedback loops help us get an understanding of what's sticking out either as an underperforming area of the business or an overperforming area of the business. So we can be really, really focused on the operational changes that we make that ultimately allow us to circle back to the model, go back to forecasting. And that's, that's the infinite loop, is going through that cyclical process and refining the business over time. Interesting. Okay. So if you're an agency owner out there listening, what are some of the symptoms, Marcel, that people should be looking for? And, and wondering if they should be talking to somebody like yourself? It's a great question. The kinds of things that we hear a lot are things like, we're growing our revenue, but our profit is staying the same or it's less maybe than it was before. So for example, one of our clients, they had tripled their business in two years. They were taking home less money than they were when their business was one third of the size. Or they're saying, you know, our team's super busy. And yet we look at our accounting statements and our, our accounts telling us that we're overstaffed. That would be another good signal. Or, you know, we're constantly going over budget on our projects and services, but we can't seem to figure out why that's happening. Or every time it feels like it's time for us to hire somebody, we're struggling with cash flow and it doesn't feel like we have enough money to do that. And yet the team is super busy. So if those are the kinds of things that you're feeling day to day and you've tried to get clarity on this, but you just can't seem to figure it out or your team can't seem to figure it out, that would be a good indication that it's time for you to start focusing in on these kind of three core components of modeling, forecasting, and feedback loops. Okay. And obviously, the longer that the model runs, the greater the feedback loops become, and then the more accurate the model becomes, correct? That's exactly right. And, and what we design this for is, you know, we have this philosophy that like profitability is a process, not an event. Right. And so we want to treat this as a cyclical process. And if it's done properly, what this should allow you to do is bake this into the DNA of the company and bake this into the operational rhythms for the team. So you don't necessarily have to be involved as a founder or as an executive in this. Your team can learn how to start thinking in this way and using this data to make decisions that lead the business in the right direction. And just the natural operations of the business will lead to this cycle happening and to the business staying healthy and focused on the right things and being profitable and being scalable without you necessarily needing to constantly drive that as the leader of the business. Interesting. Okay. So I'd like to back up just a little bit. I really like to dive into stories of people. And I'm sure there was a point at maybe in the beginning of Parakeeto or maybe just before that, some sort of event that led up to some struggle point. Did you, at any point, did Parakeeto have a struggle point or a point where you're like, this is just not working? How did you deal with that? <laughs> Course correct. It's a great question. So I would say that the first three years of our company's existence, I would define that as a struggle. And I think part of the reason that we struggled was we started a software company. And we saw this as a software problem. And our thesis when we first started the company was, Agencies have clean data and they're tracking all the right stuff and they know what they need to see. They just need a dashboard to show it to them. Ah, and so okay. we're going to build this platform that connects to their time tracking and their project management tool and pulls everything in and then shows them the numbers. So your proof that this business model could really work was not just based off yourself, not just based off your own experience of, of these things being a problem in your own business, but like you had tons and tons of reinforcement from the companies that you were trying to help 
five years ago, correct? Yes, now we do. But at that time, we did we did theoretically do the right thing, which was we went out, we did customer interviews, we got on the phone with you know dozens of agencies, we asked them about their problems, their pain points, we showed them mockups of what this of what the software we were building was going to look like. We pre-sold licenses to the software, but it's one of those kind of funny things that you hear Henry Ford said, right? Where he said, like, if I gave my customers what they asked for, I would have built a faster horse. And I think in many ways, that's kind of what we did. Every agency that we talked to, they all agreed. Having a dashboard that shows us this stuff, I want that. I'm willing to pay for it. But getting them there in practice was much, much more complicated than we had anticipated because the fundamental assumption that we were making was that they understood this stuff at a strategic level and that their data was going to be clean. Mm-hmm. Neither one of those things were true in any of the pre-sales that we made. Over a dozen agencies pre-bought the software. Not a wow. single one of them was successful in getting implemented. And so we spent probably three years trying to figure out how to build a software company to solve this problem. And we were stuck at you know between ten and twenty thousand dollars a month for almost three years. And as two founders, that quite frankly we could have gone and gotten jobs somewhere and gotten paid way more money and worked way less hard. That was challenging. And for four quarters in a row, every quarter, my co-founder Ben and I we get together in person for three days and we do quarterly planning. And for four quarters in a row, back in the year twenty twenty, we got together. And we had the same discussion, which was, this is my last quarter. If we don't achieve X, Y, and Z, and we'd set some arbitrary target for revenue growth, for new users, for whatever. If we don't achieve these things, I'm done. Next quarter, we'll shut things down. I'm going to go get a job. Wow, it was that close. Oh my goodness. It was was that close. And for four quarters in a row, we would come back to our quarterly offsites, having not achieved those outcomes. And we decided to give it one more quarter. Because every quarter, despite the fact that we weren't achieving any of the objectives that we had set out, we were more convinced that there was a problem here that needed to be solved. We were more convinced that this was a huge opportunity. And so really, the long and short of it was, when we asked ourselves, what problem would I leave and work on if I wasn't working on this? And it was like, it's this problem. I can't put it down. Because I know it's real. I know agencies are struggling with it. We constantly get reinforcement that this is a real problem. That the problem is just that we haven't figured out how to solve it in an adequate way yet, in a way that's compelling, in a way that's repeatable, in a way that actually gets them the result they're looking for, in a way that they can understand. That was the nut that we hadn't cracked. So it was like knowing that we were on top of an oil well, but we just hadn't drilled in the right spot yet. And so that that was the struggle that we were running into. Okay. I, well, like, what kept you going? I have to ask. Like, what kept you going through those four quarters or more? It, it really was the belief in the problem. So, uh, the way I think about product, you know, we have this concept of a minimum viable product. We talk about it a lot in software. But to me, there's four P's that have to come before the product. The first is the minimum viable problem. The problem is the bedrock of any successful business because value is created in solving that problem. Then there's the point of view. So what is your unique point of view on why that problem exists, why the existing solutions don't solve it, and the different perspective on how to solve that in a new or better or innovative way. The third P is minimum viable process. So what are the steps that you can implement or take or deliver to a customer that consistently gets them the outcome and and the result? And only then, once you've solved those three things, does it make sense to build a product. And of course, the mistake that we were making was we were jumping straight to product and we weren't spending enough time on the other three parts. But 
the fact that the problem just kept getting more and more and more clear and deeper and we and it kept getting bigger and we started understanding the true scale and the true value of solving this problem every quarter that got deeper and that's what kept us going okay the problem gets bigger and bigger and bigger and therefore your drive gets deeper and deeper and deeper that's right because we really really care about solving this problem and we were obsessed with it and so it was one of those things where it's like if i quit the business, I would still think about this in the shower. I just can't help sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're that. Well, I mean, you're so invested, of course. At that point, you're so invested in solving this problem. I'm sure that would be something that would just nag at you forever. Yeah. So I, I want to zoom in then on that, whatever the event was that brought you from, we don't know what we're doing to, oh my God, we figured it out. <laughs> so... That conversation happened at one of these quarterly offsites. And it was the offsite we did just before the end of, I want to say, 2021. And the question that Ben and I sat down and asked ourselves was, if we burned everything to the ground and started over, knowing what we know now about this problem, about how our customers experience it, and about what's required to solve it, what would the ultimate solution look like to solve this problem? And what if it didn't have to be scalable? It didn't have to be profitable. It didn't have to be software. There's no limits. If we just, all we cared about was building the best possible solution, no matter what it took, what would it look like? And by the end of spending like four hours mapping this out, we stepped back and I was like, I think that we can sell this. And what was different about it was it involved a lot of consulting because what we realized was, yes, the, the, a lot of the software that we were building can deliver value. But there's so many things that are required for it to deliver value. It has to be properly implemented. In order for it to be properly implemented, a client has to go through a data design process. In order to do a data design process, they need to have a strategic understanding of what they're trying to measure in order to have a strategic understanding. right? So as you started to work back, it was like, there's a lot of consulting that needs to happen here. And so we just said, okay, well, let's be a consulting company then and give that a try. And what was cool is because we had a consistent problem, because we had a unique point of view, because we had a podcast that we were publishing and content that we were publishing, we had calls with agencies every week that were just kind of dropping into our calendar. And so we came out of that offsite. And the following week, we closed our first consulting deal. And within three months, we had gone from being stuck at around 10 to 20K a month to having our first $70,000 a month. Wow. And it just completely transformed the business. Our sales cycle didn't get any longer, but our deal size went up from you know a few hundred dollars a month to tens of thousands of dollars. And we started delivering real results for clients. We were able to get so much deeper. And what was crazy is, even if you zoom out and say, okay, well, our objective is still to be a software company someday, all the things that need to be true for us to be a world-class software company, we were now getting paid to do. We were deeper in the problem. We were closer to it. We were getting more in the weeds. And we were getting paid to do all these things that were going to lead us to a better software product. And the other thing that was crazy was the product velocity went through the roof because now we didn't have to get the things that we were building on the technical side to a level of fidelity that we could put them in front of a customer. They just needed to be good enough for us to use to do our job. And so when you think about the time it takes to build a feature into a software product, 20% of that time is like getting it to do the thing that it needs to do. 80% of the time is the user interface, the user experience, the colors, the intuitiveness, the user testing, the scalability, the reliability, the, all of those things, the security... So much of the stuff that when you're not having to expose it to a customer, 
you don't have to spend nearly as much time on. And so we were building features faster. We were improving our capabilities faster. We were solving problems faster. We were iterating faster. We were learning faster. And we were growing faster. And that was really the TSN turning point for us was asking ourselves that question and being open to just completely shifting what we were doing and removing all those constraints. Fantastic. I love that so much. I love hearing a story just like this one. So tell me, at what point did you guys sit down at one of your, maybe it was at one of your quarterlies evaluations, maybe it was at your yearly. At what point did you guys sit down and think, okay, we've, we've re- we really made it. Like we're doing it. We're here. Was it after that first big deal or did it take a little while? I would say that, see, of course, the problem with that was we, <laughs> you know, like a true startup, that first quarter, we started selling this thing that we had just dreamed up the week before. So then the problem was, well, now someone's given us money and they expect us to do all the stuff that we just told them we were yeah, going to do. Yeah, let's build all so the processes to... around fulfillment. Let's build all That's the... right. Yeah, okay, yeah. So that year is basically a blur of us just continuing to sell these things mm-hmm. and then delivering them and building them on the fly. And you know, of course, there were some growing pains, but we had a lot of really happy clients that got a lot of really great results. Some of them are still with us today. And I would say that it was two or three quarters later that we were able to kind of pick our heads up and say, we've really got something here and this is working. And there's a path here that's so much more clear than it's ever been about how we take this business from where it is today to being 10 or $100 million and just being able to have the impact that we want to have on so many more agencies. It sounds like it's rather labor intensive. Can you speak to like your team a little bit? Like... Are you the one that's doing all of the consulting or do you have a like, team of consultants? What's that look like? Well, that, that was the thing. Partway through that first year, we had had enough volume and our process had become defined enough that we were able to really bring in a team to help make sure that the delivery was happening consistently and that it wasn't relying just on me. So yeah, at that point, uh, you were, we're able to sort of work more on the business instead of in it. Yeah, that's right. So so now we have an incredible team. We have an account manager. His name's Brandon. He does a much better job of taking care of our clients than I ever could off the side of my desk, you know, making sure that their schedules are clear, making sure that, you know, they're onboarded properly, they have all the information that they need, they get a response quickly when they have a question. And then we brought in Carson Pierce, who, you know, has over 20 years of experience doing operations management roles as well as project management roles in agencies from DDB all the way down to like smaller software development shops. So he's now come in and he really leads all of our client engagements. And now I get to kind of sit back and basically work with Carson on the stuff that's really interesting or edge cases and and complicated, but I don't have to be on really any client calls anymore. And Carson is doing just an amazing job. So we're excited to keep growing that consulting team and uh, keep adding more people to kind of do that work. But it took us a while to develop the systems, the technology, and the processes to get to a place where we could have other people do it. Because what we do is very labor-intensive, and it's very complex because every agency is different. And so what we have to try and do is essentially bring them through an abstraction layer to get them onto a framework that's consistent and that can deliver a repeatable insight. Mm -hmm. But do that while kind of taking into account all of the nuances and things that are unique about that business. And so we figured out how to do that, but it took uh, a while to really dial that in. It's, I mean, you said it's complex. I think that's an understatement. It is just insane. I have a little bit of personal insight. My my brother, one of the smartest guys I know, he's got an MBA, not that 
degrees make you smart, but he's got an MBA and he's a business consultant. And he tried to walk me through like one of his client cases when I just came over to his house. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? It was pretty hard for me to follow it. But yeah, so you guys have now in place like a formula that you can just continue to expand upon or, you know, it's probably not going to scale one-to-one from like where you are now to 10 times what your revenue will be, right? But you've got a good, you've got a good formula. Yeah. And I think that the key to that has been really standardizing the underlying framework for how to measure a professional services firm. That has really been the biggest unlock for us and the, the thing that has taken the most time to really refine. But now that we have that solved, it's just opened up the possibilities for us. And it's really allowed us to deliver better results to our clients. And that has really come from answering all of those little nuanced questions about like, I'll give you a couple examples. What is the gross margin of a project? You know, it sounds like a simple question, right? But then you start thinking about it and you're like, okay, well, what's included in the cost basis? How do I calculate the cost of the team that spent time on that? What is their cost per hour based on? Is it based on their full salary? Is it based on part of their salary? Is it based on the 40 hours a week that they work? Or is it based on some adjusted number that's just the time that they spend doing client work? How does utilization factor into that? What about time off? And what about sales commissions? Right. So all of a sudden, so many. Yeah. you're like, Wait, this is actually really complex. And the problem that makes it even more complex is every decision that you make on that metric impacts the 10 other metrics that are now being tracked relative to that metric. And so that has been, I think, the biggest piece that we've figured out is a system that allows us to normalize every single professional services business that we've worked with, whether they bill by the hour or they bill on value and flat rates, whether they outsource 100% of the labor or they have a fully in-house team, whether they're selling websites or they're selling gutter cleaning. The framework works the same way every time. Every and so we can now time. compare... Wow all of the clients to each other. We can mm-hmm. get everybody on the same wavelength and we have a completely consistent model. So we know when we pull this lever over here, we increase this metric. This is how it's going to impact all of these other things. It's all mathematically consistent. That has really been the, the thing that has been most important for us to figure out in order to really build a scalable system here that delivers repeatable results and has the, the opportunity to get big and can really deal with all the complexity that exists inherently in this space. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just from talking to you for the last 25 minutes or so, I mean, I can tell like what a powerful system that you have in place and like, and what a valuable system that you have as well. Holy crap. From when you open to whenever, yeah, I mean, maybe you get to a point where you sell, whatever, till you get to that point, you've, you've got something incredibly valuable in your hands and it's just going to continue to get more and more valuable. I hope you're right about that. I, I certainly feel that way, but uh, it's, it's Are nice to hear Are you optimistic about the future? I'm incredibly optimistic, but I also have a superiority complex, which maybe I think is a requirement for being an entrepreneur. So it, you, know, you shouldn't be surprised to hear me say that. But yeah, I, I think that what we have figured out... And this is the plan. We're going to write a book on this. And this, I believe, is the framework that will define for the next several decades the gold standard for how to measure a professional services firm. And our objective is to build an entire ecosystem around this model in the same way that EOS has built an ecosystem around their operating framework for running management teams, in the same way that HubSpot built an ecosystem around their framework for doing inbound marketing, and in the same way that Jira built an ecosystem 
around the agile methodology. I think that we have something very similar here. And uh, that is really the big vision for us is to not just define a method, but to define an entirely new category that's predicated by this, this framework and this methodology for how to do this well. Wow. Yeah. Huge, huge thinking. Huge thinking, Marcel. That's wonderful to hear. So Marcel, considering our audience may be mm, definitely struggling with some of these things, what are like some simple things that they can do today or tomorrow to evaluate whether or not they're doing these things well or poor? Well, the, this is a shameless plug, but the first thing that they should do is go <laughs> and download our, <laughs> our agency profitability toolkit. Actually, we've, we've really tried hard to put everything that you need to get a grip on this stuff in our toolkit and make it free because we're expensive and I mean, not everybody. Just good business, right? You got to be able to let people know that you can help. Yeah. That's right. And, and so, you know, I want to work with every agency on the planet, but, you know, those that are doing less than a million dollars in revenue probably aren't in a position to work with us directly to solve these problems. Services. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Where can they find this uh, download? They can find it at parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit and they can get access to a free copy. And in there, there will be templates and training videos that will walk through in much more detail how to think about this stuff. But Mm -hmm. I want to cover just the basics, which is that out of 100 agencies that we've audited, I can count on one hand the number of agencies that their problem was that they were spending too much on overhead stuff. They were spending too much on rent. They were spending too much on their accounting software. Sure. It's almost too never many people happens. doing the same thing, whatever it may be. That's it. Yeah. The main problem that almost every single agency has is that they don't have a strong, what we call delivery margin. So essentially, the fundamental profitability of the business, which is how much money do you make selling things to clients and then delivering on that thing, is not enough for you to have a reasonable amount of overhead and still have profit left over. And when we focus on improving delivery margin, everything changes. And often, they can improve their profitability by hundreds of percentage points. So so just last week, we delivered an audit to a client. We showed them how to go from $1.1 million in losses to over $1.2 million in profit without changing their pricing, without hiring or firing any team members, and without spending any less money on overhead. Okay. So, well, I mean, they they spent the money for you, right? But let's... <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask you about customer return on investment. Like, that's where it is. Is that something that you, I don't want to say, like, can guarantee, but is that is it? Can you say with, I mean, to a degree, to a degree of confidence that you can guarantee a positive ROI on your service. What I can guarantee is that we can show you how to get there. Of course, I can't force an agency owner to make the hard decisions that they need to make. But I can show any agency how to get to their profitability goals, whether they want to make a 20% EBITDA or 40% EBITDA. I can show them exactly how to get there. And I can help them craft a path there that is actually realistic and reasonable and achievable based on how they're currently performing. And I can show them how to do that within a set of constraints that are meaningful to them. So for example, an agency that wants to do a four-day work week, there's a lot of people that will tell that agency, well, you can't be profitable only working four days a week. And that's actually just mathematically not true. I can show them how to get to a 30% EBITDA looking at the three main levers that control profitability. And ultimately, when we think about that delivery margin, there's only three ways to move it. The first way is by maneuvering your average billable rate, which is a function of for every hour my team works, how much money do we make as a business? And so the two ways to move that number are to charge more 
for what you do. That's pretty obvious. Or to become more efficient. Or to spend less time to do it. Exactly. Because if I can spend half as much time to do something but earn the same amount of money, I can double the amount of revenue that my team can handle without changing anything else. So that's the first one is average bubble rate. The second one is utilization, which is looking at what percentage of my team's time is spent earning that average billable rate, aka doing client work. And of course, the higher we can get that number, the more efficient the business is. And then the third one is paying attention to average cost per hour, which looks at for every hour that my team spends doing client work, on average, what does that cost the business? And that's generally going to be a function of how senior does that person need to be to do that task. And the way to decrease that average cost per hour is generally by lowering the amount of judgment that's required to get something done, which comes through better processes, standardization, documentation, technology leverage, etc. Yeah, not every decision needs to run through the owners or the directors or whatever. That's exactly right. And so those are really the three levers that we can focus on and that everyone listening at home can focus on is step back, figure out what your deliver margin looks like. And there's a training in the toolkit that'll show you how to do that. And then there's another training video that goes through these three levers, how to calculate them, how to think about them. And it should become pretty obvious pretty quickly which of those things presents your biggest opportunity to improve your profitability. And you'll start to, your wheels will start spinning. If you're anything like me, your wheels will start spinning and you'll start to think about, oh, these are some ways that I can improve that metric. And the impact can be astronomical. I've just not been charging enough for the last 14 years. (laughs) Yeah, or I don't actually know how long it takes us to do this thing. Like I sell it and I think it takes 20 hours. I've never thought to measure how long it actually takes. What if it's taking us twice as long, right? Those kinds of things. That's a that's a can of worms right there. I I love talking about it. Yeah, I mean, time tracking, considering profitability for time tracking, and like, are you going to do it? Are you going to mandate it? Do you only track billable work? Do you have to get everyone to forty hours a week or thirty hours a week or whatever? If you want to move to a four day work week, do you want to do ten hours for four days? Like, what's the so? Yeah, that's a whole. I can come back and we can do a whole other hour on that if you want. Oh my goodness, yeah. I I mean it's been uh, it's been fantastic to have you. I I feel a little bit admittedly out of my depth with all of this. Like I I don't I am not the numbers guy. I am not analytical. I am a salesman through and through and I just love talking to people. That's sort of what got me to where I am today, but you've been great at sort of dialing it back, I feel, to for someone like a dummy like me to understand this stuff. So I, I really appreciate that. Well, I, I want you to know and I want the listeners to know that if you feel a similar way, you're not alone. Most people that run an agency or that run a firm either have a sales background or most of them have a creative background. And this stuff doesn't come naturally to them. And what we have been able to do is simplify this. But it is inherently complex. And it's also important to note that because it's simple, it doesn't mean that it's easy. And it is very, very hard. And so all this is just to say that if anyone feels badly for not feeling really uh, in charge or in command of this area of the business, just know that I've very rarely come across anyone that is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. I have to ask you real quick before I let you go and we are coming up on time here. Why parakeet? Where'd the parakeet come from? (laughs) That's a great question. So Jared, when uh, he called me up, he was running an agency, still runs an agency called Royal J. So, and uh, sorry, Jared was the original co-founder. Yes, that's right. Okay, the original okay. co-founder, and, he, and he's still on the board. He's still a, an investor and okay. a shareholder in the company. Okay, but Jared runs a firm called Royal J, and they're based in Boise, Idaho. And at Royal J, anytime they had an internal project, they would give it a bird-themed name. 
And so they had started working on this idea for Parakeeto, you know, around a similar time that I was brought in. And we just never changed it. They called it Parakeeto. They had a little brand and it just kind of stuck and we just ran with it. So that's it. that's why Parakeet. Yeah. I love it. And it's such like a I mean, your 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 website, this is a daunting subject, I have to admit. Like even like facing the fact that you don't know what the hell is going on in your business is a hard thing to come to terms with. But this the site does a really good job of making it sort of lighter. So yeah, I love it. I love the parakeet. I love the soft colors. Whoever your designer is, top notch. Well done. So Marcel, that's going to do it for us today. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been your host, Ryan McGovern. Thank you so much to our guests for being here. And thank you so much for tuning in to the Niche Agency Podcast. We upload episodes every Thursday at 12 Eastern. If you're an agency owner trying to niche and scale your business, we'd love to speak with you. I'd love to speak with you about scalable white label SEO. And if you have heard anything from Marcel today that probably struck a chord or resonated with you, I'm sure, I'm positive that 100% of people listening to this do not have all of those three levers buttoned up to where they should be. If you want to get in touch with Marcel, Marcel, how do they do that? Come to parakeeto.com, check out the toolkit. You'll get emails from me and find me on LinkedIn if you just want to connect and shoot over some questions. I'm always happy to nerd out in the, in the DMs. Wonderful. Okay, but otherwise, apply for a call. It's your, your call to action, I see. Just hit that. That's right. Okay. You got it. Wonderful. All right. Thanks again for being here, Marcel. And we will see you guys next week. 